Welcome to the New York Startup. I'm Zach Firestone, and I chat with founders, investors, and other key players in the startup ecosystem. You can find us at thenewyorkstartup.com or on Twitter at VNY Startup. Today, we are lucky to have Gil Eyal, a true entrepreneur, to list a few of his accomplishments. He's the founder of Hyper, the market leader in data-driven influencer marketing automation solutions, which was acquired by JuliusWorks in April of this year. Prior to Hyper, Gil was the COO of Mobley Media, product manager at Playdom, worked in global EPP program strategy for Dell, and was a partner at Abraham Morin Co. He's a Kellogg MBA, and he's received countless awards, including Top People in Influencer Marketing, Digiday Top Boss Award, Top 10 Israelis in the New York Tech Scene, and Marcom Awards for Excellence in Marketing and Communications. Today, Gil is the Strategic Advisor to the Chief Innovation Officer at Silverstein, and he works with startups through Techstars, Sapir Venture Partners, as well as a new initiative that he may touch on during today's chat. Wow, what an honor. Gil, welcome. Great to have you. Thank you so much. So nice to be here. Absolutely. And it was nice to meet you a few years back. And thank you so much for the time again today. So you could tell us about your entrepreneurial journey, any milestones, how you got to where you are. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the number one lesson I learned um, over the years was how unpredictable entrepreneurship can be. As an entrepreneur, people gave me opportunities and, and those opportunities are what can be the difference between being successful and unsuccessful. So now that I've had this ability to uh, you know, I ran a company, start a company and ran it for eight years and then sell it and I'm in a different position. I, I want to be in a position where I can help entrepreneurs manage through that with, while building an environment where exploration is celebrated. Um, and the answer of I'm not sure, I don't know, is not a negative thing. And that's kind of where I'm focusing my career right now. Absolutely. But just backing up, how did you get there? How did you get to the point of building an amazing company that was eventually acquired? and everything else you've done. How early in your life did you know you were an entrepreneur? What were the steps you took that led you to founding Hyper and everything in between? So I, I always had this entrepreneurial spirit, but also had this, um, lacked this in, internal confidence that some of the well-known and famous entrepreneurs have. I always doubted myself and I always said, well, maybe this is a bad idea. I'd have um, a lot of ideas and then, you know, think about them for two or three days and convince myself that they weren't very good. And um, during my MBA, I had the chance to start working for a company called Playdom, which mm -hmm. was at the time one of the better, one of the bigger game developers on MySpace, the biggest on MySpace and one of the bigger on Facebook. And I got to experience entrepreneurship. And I, luckily, when I was there, the company got sold uh, to Disney and I got to experience all the excitement and the, the impact that uh, real entrepreneurship can have on a group of people that have built something together. And, you know, I didn't make any money on it. I was too new at the company or anything, but I, but I learned how amazing that could be. And I uh, was recruited to join a startup called Mobley. Um, at the time, um, photo and video sharing was very young. Um, people were using Blackberries, and they were talking about the potential of the Windows phone. And so I joined that company as the first employee here in the U.S., and... We got lucky. We, we we caught the attention of people like Leonardo DiCaprio and then a bunch of other celebrities. And I, I found myself full-time job role, just getting celebrities on board to our platform and helping other startups get celebrities on board. I ended up doing about 200 different deals for brands to be promoted by names like Adam Levine, Lil Wayne, 
Serena how? Williams. How did you how, how did you do that? Uh, how did you get to people like Adam Levine, Serena Williams, Leonardo DiCaprio? So part of it was you know the timing was right. Uh, Facebook was about to go public. Uh, Twitter, I think, had been blowing up, and uh, there was this narrative in the media that celebrities built these companies, right? They brought all the traffic. Justin Bieber is responsible for 3% of the traffic on Twitter. Um, Ashton Kutcher had a competition with CNN, and he, which one w- would have more followers on Twitter, and he was winning. And it was a whole story about how they're the ones driving success in these companies, and... Um, and they're not getting any of the upside. You know, Facebook was going to be was predicted to be worth, I think, forget what it was, like a hundred billion dollars or something. <laughs> and none of that would go to any of the celebrities. And they there was this real negative feeling there. So we we felt at the time at Mobley that which you know, if you look at Instagram, it's true that the next revolution would be in photo and video sharing, and that we had a chance to to win it. And so our pitch was, you know, be part of it. This time you're not going to be left behind. And that really resonated well. I don't think it would resonate well today, but at the time resonated well and we really believed in it. It got us a lot of really good relationships, a lot of deals and opened a lot of doors, you know, um, word of mouth. Celebrities know other celebrities. People wanted to be with. And part of it was just being personable and having a great relationship and having people like you so they're happy to introduce you. And part of it had to do with, what at the time we thought was a very compelling value proposition because as we onboarded these celebrities, we saw an enormous amount of traffic come to our website. We had some other issues, you know, with customer retention and quality of the product that wasn't able to handle that much traffic. So there were a lot of promising things. We were we were young and and uh, naive as well. But long story short, it, it, it got us to this place where celebrities were interested in our project, the combination of timing and what's happening in the market. And mm-hmm. we capitalized on it in a really good way. But around 2013, uh, when I started Hyper, I, I just left Mobley with the realization that Instagram has too much of a lead. We're not going to be able to catch up. Unfortunately, we had not won that market. But the world was shifting into micro-influencers, and those introduced many other challenges. The biggest challenge was really identifying them because there's so many of them. When you dealt with big celebrities, you knew who they were. It was very easy to find them and to know what they talk about. But if you need to find hundreds or thousands of micro-influencers, you didn't have the tools to do it. And so Mobley started out as a search engine that collected data from different sources, understood who's influential in what way, eventually grew into a full CRM system that helps you manage those relationships. Um, but I but I spent, I think, 2013 through 2015 getting rejected, uh, or basically similar to, I'd say, sophomore year through junior year in high school, um, <laughs> where no, you know, nobody believed that people would advertise this way, that people would work this way. And I think one realization that came to me at that point is that if people don't get your idea, you're either crazy or you're brilliant, right? Because if it's an obvious idea, tons of people are doing it. And if it's a crazy idea, then a lot of people won't get it. And so a lot of people didn't get it. I was very close to thinking it was a crazy idea that nobody will ever get and is probably wrong until I met a guy named Charlie Fetterman at Silver Tech Ventures. And, you know, just like every meeting I'd had at the time, he came with the attitude of, okay, I've seen a thousand of these companies Tell me something I don't know. And I said to him, you know, I think micro-influencers are a commodity, and that means that we can automate things around them. And he said, why? And I said, because if, if, if it doesn't really matter which influencer you're using, and there are millions of them, we can shift the power away from the influencers to the brands. 
And I think, you know, later on he would tell me that that was his aha moment. And he said, okay, I'm looking at something a little different than everything I've seen so far. And that led to our eventual, and that led him to extend an invitation to join Silvertech, eventually invest in the company, help me raise the initial capital, but also give me the credibility in the community um, that I could build something. And, um, you know, being part of Silvertech and the whole team with Larry and Tal and Guy and, and of course, Charlie, was really the game changer for me, that opportunity and, and that idea that, you know, I had an insight that he, he recognized as, as a valuable insight. And he explained to me that as a VC, that's what he always looks for. He says, at early stage, you never know if they're going to pivot, if they're going to do something different, if the market's going to change. But if somebody has an insight about the market, that means they're capable of thinking very differently and in a unique manner. And a lot of the biggest companies in the world started that way. Absolutely. Um, it sounds like the, the Silvertech platform was monumental for you, aside from the funding component that you mentioned. Uh, in what other ways do they get hands-on and help the entrepreneur? Monumental is an understatement. We would never have gone gone anywhere near where we ended up without uh, being part of this platform. Um, first and foremost, you know, I, I think I said about myself at the beginning, I'm not one of those guys who has this innate internal confidence that whatever he does is going to be successful. Um, for the first time in my life, I had these mentors who were supportive no matter what, who thought through it, it not in I'm going to teach you what the right decision is, but in explain to me how you're thinking and let's let's challenge your assumptions and let's work together and doing it in a way that builds your confidence and tells you that it's okay for you to fail. And if you fail, they'll they'll be right there with you explaining to the other investors what, what we were thinking and why we did it um, and creating this really safe environment in what is otherwise a very lonely role, you know, as a, as a founder, and I had a co-founder, but he was in Israel and he was the, on the R&D team and he was distant physically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're very lonely. You, you can't really explain it to your friends. You can't really explain it to your wife. Um, you're always under stress, you know, is something going to go wrong? Am I making the, am I yeah, I'm making decisions with limited information? And not only did they create that environment, but they also gave me invaluable advice that really structured the way that decision-making was made. So that, that's a, a very important Sounds theme that, that you've raised, which is kind of the loneliness that founders can feel. I think most people don't realize that. Um, who else were you able to turn to? Did you speak with other startup CEOs, you know, for support or kind of what other ways do you recommend that founders deal with that and cope with that loneliness? Yeah, you know, at Silvertech, one of the unique features, which I think COVID is kind of hurting for every founder, was that you're surrounded by other entrepreneurs who are at earlier, later, similar stages, and you can use them as um, advice, as sounding boards, just somebody to cry on their shoulder. At the end of the day, it's a very difficult issue, this founder loneliness, and it creates, I know, a lot of, um, you know, mental health issues that a lot of founders struggle with. Um, so part of that is really being surrounded by a group of people that are um, supportive in the and going through similar things. And another is, of course, um, you know, this big concern of will I be able to raise capital? What will my investors think? That's being managed by somebody that can help you with all of that. Um, it doesn't, you know, there's no full scale solution for that loneliness. It's just part of the role. It's uh, it's something that really requires us to, as a founder, to make a commitment and. Um, ask ourselves, are we ready to do it for the long run? So you're, you're in Silvertech and they're helping you in, in so many different ways. So what happens next? Uh, so we, they help us raise that first round. We have 
amazing, amazing years of growth. Uh, the company literally um, starts, you know, they introduce us to clients in the building that they know, some of the biggest agencies in the world. We, the, the, the market starts to shift into the world of micro-influencers. Everybody who thought it was crazy now, now uh, doesn't think I'm crazy anymore. And it's working, and it's working, and the company's growing, and the model of SaaS, the SaaS model is working, and we get to, you know, numbers that are pretty good. Um, and it starts getting competitive. Um, more companies are copying what we're doing. They're low-cost providers who offer a lower-quality solution, but they, they know how to make it look beautiful and try, and try to take away your clients. Um, there's some good competitors that offer really unique offerings, and it gets to be a tough market. And that's after, you know, for me running it for seven or, or eight years, it gets to the point where I say, okay, you know, it's an interesting market. It's grown very nicely. Um, I think it's only going to be won by consolidation. And what does that mean? It means that um, there are a few really good companies, probably 10 or, or 20 really good companies that offer a really good solution. And there's overlap between what they offer. Um, and so I had known the guys at uh, Julius for a long time. They're fantastic mm -hmm. guys. Um, and we always would joke around that while we keep competing with each other in another universe, we're on the same team because if we had just met a few weeks earlier, we probably would have started the company together. Uh, we had very similar perspectives on the industry and they, they shared, in fact, it may be, if I try to remember, they even were the first ones to throw the idea of consolidation into my head. And we all agreed that it was a good idea. Um, in, it, it, creating scale had a lot of benefits and we had similar customers, but also we had offerings that they were missing, they had offerings that we were missing, and together we could build a platform that's much better for the customers. And I had been running it. So, uh, and they had this amazing CEO, uh, Jared, uh, which was really, really motivated to, to continue leading. So we agreed that I would move on to an, uh, not very sorry, to a uh, board member position and help him uh, with activities day to day while he runs the company. And that would allow me to go pursue some other ideas that I eight years I thought it was time to uh, to get going. Wow! So it was like a smooth, amicable process. Very, uh, very smooth, very simple. You, people won't believe how fast it happened. It was you know three months from decision to closing, um, and I think you know both sides so far are very happy with it. Was it difficult for you? I mean, this you know Hyper was your baby, right? You you gave your heart and soul to it, and yeah. It must have been a little bit difficult, I imagine, to, to turn it over, even though it's in great hands and, you know, can do great things. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, you know, you have to let your baby succeed. And I looked at it and I said, I have two options. I can continue running it myself and be one of 20 players. I can go to somebody um, who's, you know, around the same size as we are and we can grow together. And I'm my kids to college now. You know, I want them to get a good degree. I want them to. So that's the thought process is you have to, you're getting more resources, you're getting People and whether it'll be called hyper or schmiper or something else down the road doesn't really matter so long as it's successful. Yeah. And, and and it becomes more than just hyper. It becomes all the people who work in hyper, all the people who've invested in hyper. All that's on your shoulders. So you want to do the best thing possible for that group, for all the stakeholders. Wow. Well, well, mm -hmm. congratulations on, on that on the sale of the company. That, that's huge. That's a, it goes without saying. That's you know what thank you, most thank people you. are never able to accomplish. So now it sounds like you're giving back to the startup community in many ways through TechStars as a mentor. Um, you're a strategic advisor to the chief innovation officer at Silverstein. Uh, can you talk about that? I know you also have a new initiative in the works that touches on giving back to the startup community. Maybe you can say something about that as well. Yeah, I mean the mentorship for for different uh, uh, VCs and. Um, 
and um, uh, Accelerators has always been there. Techstars asked me to help with their recent batch, and they have an amazing batch, so I've been trying to help the companies as much as I can. There's a specific focus for my assistance that's focused on influencers and celebrity endorsements, and a big move for startups to do that. Um, with Silverstein, so I, I had been a tenant at Silver Tech since 2000, at Silver uh, Suites since 2015 when I joined mm-hmm. Silver Tech. And I just built a really, really good relationship with Tal Carrot and, and Guy Vardy, who, who are the people who, who um, you know, Tal, Tal's the CEO of the company and um, Guy is the head of innovation. And they had, you know, this current market position has placed them in a place where they're obviously dealing with the challenges that this market offers, but also in a great position because it's a, comp- it's a real estate company run by tech people. You know, they both come from the tech community. They're both super sophisticated when it comes to um, startups. They both had several exits in their past. Um, so for me, it was an amazing opportunity. They said, come join us. We're looking to innovate in every way possible, really, to, to really build a, a unique experience, whether it's residential or commercial, in real estate and try to understand what can we do to, to make it exciting for people to live in our buildings, to make it exciting for people to come back to the office. And how do we create a situation where we leverage the positive side, which is that you know, tough occurrences like COVID usually generate a lot of ingenuity and, and smart ideas. How do we become leaders in, in, in adopting those ideas? And so um, that's what we've, we're spending a lot of our time thinking about. And I, you know, I've grown to admire them even more because the same thing that they do with Silvertech, they do with, you know, a, a multi, multi-billion dollar company that's, you know, I think 70 years old um, and moves very differently than what you would imagine a real estate company um, operates like. Yeah, um, and it's especially incredible just to jump in real quick because as, as you know, as, as much of the audience knows, I'm with Shadow Ventures. We focus yeah. on real estate and construction technology and I mean, what you just described, a huge real estate firm, we're talking people who own, you know, the World Trade Center here, mm-hmm. typically real estate firms have no clue at all when it comes to technology. So the fact that the leadership within Silverstein, um, you know, come from a tech background, that is incredible. And I, we it's, definitely look forward to seeing, you know, what, what they'll be doing in the prop tech space. Yeah, and I think it's, it's um, I think it's, it's necessity plus, you know, really understanding it because, you know, with COVID's introduced so many challenges into this market, it's a great opportunity for anybody doing prop tech. And they're welcome. Anybody who's doing any prop tech is welcome to, to chat with me. I can't guarantee that I can find the right person in our organization to talk to. But um, I genuinely believe that um, there, there are technologies out there that are going to revolutionize the way this the way leasing happens, the way attending the office happens, the way going back to the office. I mean, one of the companies, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, Hopefully I'm not overstepping what I'm supposed to say, but there's a company called Dojo, which is an amazing, amazing company that was developed within the, the Silverstein. I'm not sure what their exact relationship with Silverstein, but within the Silverstein ecosystem uh, by this amazing guy named Dan. And what it basically does is it helps you. It does all the uh, going back to the office. You have a company that hasn't been in the office for the last few months due to COVID, and you want to go back to the office or partially go back to the office. It does anything from identifying which employees are the ones that are at risk and should not be going back, dividing your team into cohorts and making them sit, seating them in the right place so they don't have to travel too much and, um, and that they can meet with the people that they work with, assigning days of attendance for employees so that you don't have um, everybody on at once and you have different uh, cohorts so that if there is happens to be an issue, then people will go back home 
uh, uh, then only that group is is at risk and not people who are working from home that day. And a lot of other stuff that's technologically um, useful in, in ensuring that you as the person who decides to bring their company back to the office, reduce your liability, ensure to your employees that they're going to a safe and healthy environment and empower you to then go back and look back if anything went wrong and understand who was affected by that and how you should be reacting. So I think that's kind of that's the kind of brilliant technology that people are building around um, these challenges right now. And, and that's a challenge that didn't exist a year ago. It's crucial. And I guess just because you brought that up now, I, I had wanted to ask you about COVID's impact on the entire startup ecosystem. You know, what have you noticed? I've heard many different opinions on what is happening, what will happen with valuations, with companies folding, companies being yeah. created. What, what, what do you see? You know, some of it's pure luck. If you're a company that happens to benefit from COVID, this could be great for you. You know, there are companies, work from home companies. Zoom is obviously the example that pops in everybody's head. But COVID really accelerated their growth, provided an opportunity. And then you need to be worried about what happens when they find a solution. Do I still have the same value proposition? Do I still have uh, the ability to, to excite people the way that I do today? Is my growth temporary or long term? And if you're unlucky, you're in a company that was really negatively affected by um, by uh, COVID. So event-based companies, for example, um, that you know focus on organizing events. Nobody's going to events or has been going for a long time. Um, the level of impact on that business could be from zero to you know from from you know a hundred events to zero events overnight, and all your events yeah. get canceled, and everything you planned and any model you had could not have predicted it, and that could just kill a company unless you have really supportive investors and the right trajectory. And um, so there's a lot of, you know, you're just a casualty of, of this event. And then there are companies, I think for the first time in history, you see companies like say Netflix who one who, who actually not only benefit, but explode from such an event, right? Everybody's home. They're watching more content, but none of your competitors can afford to create any new content. So not only do your, does your revenue go up, but also your expenses go down. Wow. So, um, you know. <laughs> good to be them right now. It, it, yeah. It, oh, yeah. It's good to be Netflix right now. And um, it's, a, it's a very interesting situation where um, really you just need to be lucky and have a company. If you, if you already have a company, you need to be lucky and capitalize on the opportunity. And if you're unlucky, you really need to go into survival mode. Uh, and then if you're starting a company, you have two options, either customize it to the situation, which I don't love because I think it's a temporary situation. So when yes. I see companies that are targeted at dealing with COVID stuff and don't have a use case outside of it, I don't get too excited about it. Or you say, you know, I, I anticipate that within six months, a year, two years, uh, in general, this, this is going to get better. Um, some, and then you, you kind of say, well, if certain things are not going to change, people are still going to be more care careful and cautious they've gotten to believe that they can work from home in certain roles so certain things you know you have to really guess and try to predict but you want to build a company that's good for five years or ten years or a hundred years and not you know say a covid related only company which for me some of them are amazing but i just i kind of scratch my head so if you go back to dojo uh what i love about them is you know on the one hand it's perfect for covid but on the other hand if you have 10 floors in a building, you still need to know where to seat everyone at the end of the day. And you still need to make sure that there's a guy who doesn't have to run up 10 floors five times a day instead of just sitting next to the person that they need to, to talk to. And when you have, when that, that, when that converts into 7,000 employees, you can't do that manually, but you can definitely do that automatically. So 
Um, I, I think of companies, you know, if you already exist, make the most out of what you got. Um, if you don't yet, you know, customize to a long-term future and not just COVID. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then now COVID aside, because this is clearly a weird time, but in general, how do you feel about, how do you describe the New York startup ecosystem uh, in which you've been a player? Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely evolving. It used to be all about fashion and beauty and now there's a lot of technology and that technology is becoming more and more sophisticated. I think investors are becoming more sophisticated and more and more. It used to be that there was a ton of capital. There was unsophisticated capital, family offices that um, did not hire someone to manage their capital or um, things like that. Um, Or or angel investors who, who some of them were very prepared, some weren't. And I think it's, it's shifting and it's taking the lead of places like Tel Aviv and, and the Silicon Valley in, make, in introducing more and more professional and sophisticated investors. And the capital that's, that, that's really being sought after is that smart capital that can open doors. And the doors they open are sometimes very different than the doors that you might get from a Silicon Valley door. Whether it's with brands, whether it's with understanding uh, the world of beauty, the world of fashion. There are opportunities in this world that New York offers that just aren't available in other places. So my experience has been that New York's a different scene, but it's definitely a fast-growing scene, very wealthy scene, and one that offers a different opportunity to entrepreneurs. It's also a great uh, scene for immigrants from Israel and other places because it's closer to home. Your team that's in Israel often works at closer hours. So I think it's, it's continuing to evolve. It's a great ecosystem. It's had some unicorns finally and more and more will come, and it's just uh, going to continue to evolve. And for me, I think one of the things that it did is introduce a different kind of VC, one that is very brand-oriented, very uh, consumer-oriented, that didn't really thrive in other markets like Israel and Silicon Valley, which are very, very tech-heavy. That's kind of what drove me to start this uh, thing called Star Fund, which hasn't really been formally announced. But it basically allows, uh, it's a fund that's focused on the idea that we only invest if another fund is investing, but we bring a celebrity on board. And what that celebrity does is basically provide credibility and visibility to the startups we invest in. Uh, And that's kind of valuable for everyone involved because they both get, you know, the the investors and the uh, founders get visibility and credibility. The the celebrity gets vetted opportunities with really good companies. We only join the best funds that we can find. And, um, you know, we get access to deals that otherwise we would never get access to. Wow, that is a very unique model. Very cool. So wait, just to make sure I understand, each portfolio company is matched up with one kind of relevant celebrity or do they each draw from the pool of celebrities? They, no, we, we, we match them with one celebrity and then there's a pool of celebrities, but they don't really, they, that, have, that invest with us, but they don't get involved in companies that aren't their own unless they really like them or a company wants to work with more than one. But the general concept is one celebrity per company that is, that is matched to their specific market need. Amazing. So Star Fund will soon become your full-time focus. Uh, I don't know if it'll be full time, but uh, it's definitely. I, I mean, there, I have a few other partners there that are, that have helped me that all come from the celebrity space. Too early to kind of disclose who they are, but I don't yep. know if it'll be full time. But I'll definitely be involved with them. Got it. Best of luck with that. Um, I guess Thanks. last question here today is: any other general advice that you might have for entrepreneurs, people just getting started? Anything we haven't covered? Yeah, um, find a mentor. Realize that, um, and find someone who's who's a real mentor who's who's going to be there with you for the long run. And realize that, you know, your first year or two are exploration. Like, assume that all your assumptions are going to get challenged. Many of them are going to be um, incorrect. 
that's perfectly fine. And then, you know, we live in a world today where it's just very hard to raise capital with a presentation. It might have been true easier 10 years ago. So think about what, how do you really prove your concept? How do you show that people will pay for this? And until you do that, it will just be very you know, difficult to raise capital. So find the shortest path to proving that this thing has legs. Definitely. Gil, really, on a personal level, many, many thanks to you for making time and doing this today. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Gil Eyal. What a legendary entrepreneur. You should follow him on social media and check out his new fund at starfund.io. Thanks again to Gil for coming on the show. Thanks again for listening to The New York Startup. I'm Zach Firestone. You can always find us at thenewyorkstartup.com and follow us on Twitter at TheNYStartup. Make sure to subscribe to the show. Looking forward to catching you on the next episode.